that which is passed on to us is precious, that which is so much a part of our lives changes everything we do. It changes the very way in which we think. Wars and conflicts, as they've come to be called in recent years sometimes, are still just that. They're still wars. Wars that have cost the life and the lives of many. Actions that people have chosen to defend and step forward in the name of freedom and continue to step forward even today. There are those in our midst who are not with us because they are serving in some place around this world. It is not as fashionable as it used to be to think about those and the sacrifices that they made. But it needs to be something that we hold deep down inside of us. Because what we have came with a price, a price that others had to be willing to pay. And that price allows us to continue to live and to grow into the fullness of that expression of love that they gave for country and for the people that they loved. And you know, there's a real tie-in, a real connection to that idea and the investment that we make in our, our, our youth as they grow up and as they, our young adults as they go on to achieve, and certainly in the body of Christ, the church. There was a great investment that was made in, in each of us, for us, in order that we might be the people we have come to be. In our class on asking questions and talking with some of our international students and people that we've come to know through the class we had this fall, it grew mightily today. We, from, we went from one last Sunday to four today, and we had a great discussion. And we talked about our culture and their culture and the ways they've believed and how we might recognize God in our own lives, how we might come to make that choice that is our decision. And it all really falls back down into one concept perhaps bestly expressed in the passage of Scripture that Nick read earlier. But you see, in these beautiful words, these very poetic words that we read so often, they just kind of fall off our lips and we just kind of state them as fact. But when we really begin to contemplate them and to think about it, even the beginning before Nick read, the words just settle in to a place that's hard for us to grasp. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Shades of Genesis come to our mind. All things came into being through Him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. All of these are words making the connection between God's intention in creation in Genesis and the, the fulfillment of those intentions and the full expression of it in the man coming to the earth as the word, the Logos, the man we call Jesus goes on to say then, as Nick was reading about, that this light comes to enlighten every man, every woman, every person. And yet, though he was in the world, the world didn't really recognize him. Even though the world was made through him. Even though he began before eternity began and became human, we find it a struggle to grasp more than the poetic beauty of those words. 
And yet, for everyone that does grasp it, attempts to grasp it, makes any effort to hold on to it in thought and in heart, he gave the right to become the children of God by believing in his name. And then comes these words that I just never get tired of reading these words. I, I know Nick just read them. I got, I got to read one verse of it again because it's just overwhelming to contemplate it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, why I picked this passage today and why this topic today? Well, I kind of started a sneaky sermon series a couple of weeks ago without announcing it. I started a, a sermon series about the values of the people of First Methodist Carrollton. Values that have been observed in you as a congregation in many ways for many years. And that first Sunday that we began that series happened to fall on Confirmation Sunday. And on that Sunday, I expressed one of the values that we have in this congregation is the value of relationship. And I share with those confirmands that they have a relationship with God through the Bible and the stories that they read about it. And that relationship is not only to God, but a relationship to people as well as relationship to the church. And I challenge them that the direction of their life would be fulfilled to the extent that they pursued those relationships. They were all very important in their lives. And then last week, we added a little bit of the foundation, if you will, to another value that we have. We talked about faithfulness in our relationships and the importance of them. We, talk about fight, we talked about fighting the good fight, about finishing the course, about keeping the faith. And we talked about Jesus being our example. And those vows, that, that way of expressing itself could be said simply, perhaps in a fewer words. For instance, relationship could just be said by saying, life is better together. Perhaps we, should, we could understand in more simple terms the word faithfulness by saying, faithfulness trusts and can be trusted. We value those things in this congregation. They are what make First Methodist Church, First Methodist Church. They are what make Christians, Christians. And so today, I want to go on to yet a third value that we have discovered in our church that has been there for a long time and we're lifting up. And that value is the value of faith that is expressed in grace and truth. Grace and truth. In this passage of Scripture, the word that we talked that is talked about here, when it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that word dwelt is a Hebrew word, shekinah. And that Hebrew word is a word that literally says, pitch the tent, or dwelling with you temporarily. When you think about that kind of phrase, and you think about the Old Testament stories of God coming to dwell with the people, remember how he dwelt in the cloud? Remember how he dwelt and encompassed with his very presence the mountain when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses? Remember how whenever, whenever they built the tabernacle and God's presence filled it to such an extent that his presence was so strong that none could enter it in the beginning? Do you understand that when the presence of God indwells something, that something or someone becomes very different? And in this sense, this Jesus coming to become flesh, didn't come in a, just a temporary way, 
but he also did not come in just a philosophical way. Some people have a hard time believing that God would allow God's own being to become flesh because flesh was evil in their mind. And the soul was to be valued. They were called docetists in the church. When they really wanted to react against this idea, they wanted to say that when Jesus came to earth, he just appeared to be man, but he was really God. Because they couldn't fathom, both from the Greek philosophical perspective as well as from the Jewish perspective, that God would become human. And yet the scriptures in John is saying very clearly, please understand me, what happened here is not just speculation, it's not just philosophy, it is much more than that. It is a matter of experiential reality. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. We've seen it. We've observed it. And because we have seen this glory, the same kind of glory that filled the tabernacle, we knew this man Jesus was different. Now, they didn't understand it all. They didn't grasp it all. And yet it was at the very heart of who they were and who they were to become. And when we think about these two words, grace and truth, many things run through our mind, all kinds of things. But let's begin at the beginning, the word that was, the word that was with God. It is that word that became flesh. That word was incarnated that you could touch, that you could live with, that you could walk around Israel, Galilee with. That was the word. That was the person that embodied something very important. Embodied what God would look like if God were a man. That, that, there's no way to really say that, first of all, because it doesn't make scientific sense to us. It doesn't even make real logical sense to us. But we know that's what John is talking about in this text. The eternal word and the Jesus of history are one. At the same time, Jesus, fully God, was also Jesus, fully man. I can remember early on in my seminary days, I wanted to argue about which scriptures Jesus was a man in and which scriptures he was the God in, right? Kind of make it easier on myself. That way I don't have to worry about me walking on water. I thought that might be a problem. You know, I wanted to kind of get it cleared down to the, to the center there. And, you know, I don't think I ever came away with a true grasp of that during those early seminary years, even though that's one of the reasons I was there. But as the years have gone by, it became very clear to me, that while it's a logical problem for God to be both fully God and fully Jesus at the same time, that's exactly what he did. It wasn't important that we couldn't fully grasp it. What was important is that the Son of God had to be fully human in order to pay the price for sin and to set Doug free. The same Jesus had to be fully human or else his temptation was not really real. Either one would be a great detriment to our understanding of our salvation if they were not true. And in this place, in this presence, is when we get this description that we really need to hang on to. Things that we value, sometimes more than we realize. 
grace and truth. Grace, the greatest expression of God's compassion for people. Up until that point, you know, when they thought about God, they thought a lot about power and authority. They thought a lot about judgment and the kind of God that was in a certain way. But what Jesus came to live out and to embody was this idea that God had great compassion for his people. He had a love for them that was not deterred by their sinfulness. That he so loved them that he was willing to come as their Savior in the flesh and to suffer, suffer the indignity of the cross. This is the same God who has such compassion for us, grace if you will, that he also was able then to sh convey to us the perfect truth about who God was as much as we humans could grasp it, as much as we needed to know and to understand in order that, even with incomplete knowledge, we would understand that the truth is, through faith in Christ, we live eternally. So the values of grace and truth are critical. They need to be clear in our mind. This visible presence of God among humanity became so incredibly important to the understanding of, of God that we had today because this idea of judgment is softened by the idea of compassion and love. When you put those together, you begin to see a, a fuller and a better picture of a balanced view of God and who God really is. Grace. Dealing with people we saw in Jesus' life, didn't he? He walked among us and lived among us, but he didn't walk as other people walked. He didn't walk as the Jewish people walked, God's chosen group of people. He didn't walk as some other nation walked. He walked as only one man has ever walked, in the fullness of spirit and truth. So full was he of the spirit and the truth that the glory of God shone through him. I'm going to come back to that. Don't forget that word glory. Now, as impossible as that was for many people then to grasp, it is just as difficult today. It wasn't just the Greeks that had a problem with it. It wasn't just the Jewish people that had a problem with it. People on this face of this earth today have a problem with it. How can we know God is real? And we point to the man Jesus. How do we know Jesus was really God's son? By becoming a relationship with him, right? By entering into a relationship with him so that we can begin to talk. There's a real sense in which children and parents don't really talk until the child is about 30 and the parents are about 60. We talk at each other a lot, right? How many times did one of my daughters, I, I won't specify which one, but both of them on different occasions, you just don't understand. Well, the trouble was I had forgotten how to understand what they were talking about. But I remembered enough to know that they didn't really understand. And I also remembered enough to know that they wouldn't understand what I was going to tell them I understood. Because that's part of rebelling and growing up, right? But we still talked at each other. As they get older, you begin to talk more to each other. You begin to know one another better. I feel like I know my father now better than I ever did when he was alive and walking the earth. And that's been a long time since he's been gone. But the longer time goes on, the more I understand him. Because you understand things from different perspectives at different times in your life. But this Jesus who walked around us, exemplifying this selfless love, this man who had compassion for the hurting 
the lost and the blind and the sick. This man who had compassion for the poor. This man who had compassion for the ones who had been left out outside of the temple. This man who loved everyone lived like no one else had ever lived. And in the process of that, he began to teach his word. He began to expound what God really meant in the scriptures. And his teaching became so intertwined by the living of his life in such a graceful way that the beauty of that grace allowed people to begin to get it. They began to understand that their perception of God needed to be changed a little. That their, the way they looked at one another and at people who were not part of their own people began to change little by little through the years as they contemplated and reflected on this life that Jesus had lived among them. For what they really had in grace and truth is in grace they had perfect redemption that they could never achieve themselves. They had the subsequent fellowship that came with it. And in his truth, they had perfect revelation in the truth that was God's truth. Now, each of these can be warped. And here's the genius of putting them together as a value for us as Christians. Grace perfected into its max can become, and I think often has become in the last 50 years in our country, kind of a sentimentality of cheap grace. It's become the kind of idea that God is so graceful and loving that when devoid of the truth, it doesn't call anything from us. Now, on the other hand, and in some places and in some communities of faith, the idea of truth is so severe and without grace and compassion that the severity of the truth becomes hardened dogma and pushes unbelievers away from the church because the church is too judgmental in their estimation because it doesn't have enough grace in it. So according to your experience, you could fall off the wagon on either side, right? If your experience had been about people that everybody's going to heaven almost, you don't worry about it too much. And if your experience is on the other side of the, the wagon where it seems like God is so critical and so judging that nobody will ever measure up, it doesn't seem like anybody's going to get to heaven, you fall off the, off the wagon that way. But what happened in Jesus was he was neither one of those. He was grace and truth entwined together in the perfect kind of way that we humans must strive to be as well. Because it is in that combining together of those two realities that people begin to really see God, to really understand, to really feel the love, to really be able to live together and to live with God with the absence of fear, with the absence of guilt, with the absence of that idea that they could do it on their own because guess what? We can't, can we? When you just look at the two words, grace and truth, first of all, you look at the one that's grace and you think completely undeserved, just like I was telling the children. can never be earned or achieved by ourselves. It is pure love that we see in the cross and in the death of Jesus. But there's a second idea here that's important to the idea of grace, charis. That word in modern Greek meant charm. It had the idea of beauty in it. 
You see, there's, there's a kind of beauty when we see the compassionate grace that is shared with people around us. And when it is combined with the idea of truth, it is a powerful, powerful thing. In truth, we see in Jesus the embodiment of truth. This is what truth looks like. The commandment says, you shall not work on, on the Sabbath. But rolling the grain together, Jesus obviously didn't consider it work, did he? But the Pharisees sure did, didn't they? They loved their dogma. They couldn't see in the man Jesus, he was not breaking a command so much as he had compassion for those who needed to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in the hospital a few times in my life. Seems like those few times are getting closer and closer together. And you know, every time I go, I ask them to do something important right off the bat. I say, okay, I'm here for a few days to get well, but I want you to send everybody home on Sunday. I'll fix my own breakfast. I'll get my own shots. I'll make my own bed. Isn't that what you do too? You don't want anybody to have to work on Sunday to take care of you, right? We want everybody to be off on Sunday. Unless I'm having a heart attack, then I want the fireman in the fire station coming to my house quickly, right? You see, there's a law and there's a judgment kind of thing that we love to live in, but there's also a sense of the grace and compassion that must be blended with it. And if we get either one of those out of whack, we have a gospel out of whack, and we do not see its beauty. And when we do not see its beauty, it is not winsome. Other people are not attracted to it. So when we think about this Jesus, who is the embodiment of this combination of grace and truth, we also see this Judy, Judy, Jesus who was able to be the communicator of truth. He said, you shall know the truth, and it will set you free. It will set you free. As I tried to explain to one young lady this morning, you know, there's an American Christianity in me, and I don't know much about China. But if you send me to China, regardless of what they're teaching, I will still be a follower of Jesus. Because it is truth to me. They don't know that if they've never experienced it before. I was lucky. I was born in a country where I started learning when I was this tall. I started hearing about it when I didn't even, when I didn't walk here. And so all the complexities of the Christian faith, I didn't have to face like someone does coming from a culture that doesn't believe what God has said. They have to be taught and they have to see. They have to what did Jesus tell Thomas? Put your hand in my hand. Feel the scars. You know how people are going to see Jesus? You know how they're going to believe he's more than a philosophical concept? They're going to see Jesus in believers who are intertwining grace and truth to the best that they can and to what suits each individual. There are some people... They can't hear a word of, gra of grace, and they don't need to hear a word of grace. They need to hear a word of truth because they're headed in the wrong direction, and they need to know there's a truth calling them back. There are some people who all they've ever heard is judgment, and they don't need another word of judgment. They need somebody to love them. They need somebody to help them within the middle of the struggle they're involved in. And then the truth can be received again. But one without the other 
one without the other is either so harsh it can't be heard or so watered down that it really makes little difference in anyone's life. We must keep the two together. The values of this congregation have long been a Bible-believing congregation. A conservative congregation, if you'll use the word broadly. You say, how broadly is that? Well, I mean it like um, Dane's not going to be back next Sunday. I'll go ahead and pick on him. (laughs) Faith like Dane has, but also like Wes has. They don't probably wouldn't. I don't know. They might agree on nearly everything. But the age difference in the culture they've each been raised in is so different that it would probably be expressed a little bit differently. But that wouldn't make it right or wrong, would it? As long as they're both blended in with grace and and truth blended in together. And you say, what are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say and to ask you to be the people who I've experienced. You know why one of the families was at our Bible study this morning? Boy, I hate to do this. I hate to use this illustration. But when somebody provides you with illustrations, you just got to use it, right? I mean, wherever it's going to fall. But I have to use this illustration. This woman and her husband came to church today because she had met Steve Childers. Oh, my. You know, why would I have to call Steve out and do that? Where is Steve? Where are you hiding back there? He's short as I am. Is he here today? Yeah, he's back there in the back. He's not usually that far back there. He was talking about it. People where she worked at a car dealership knew Mr. Childress. And they told her how good a man he was. And she believed it. And she decided to come and go to the church where he had told her he went to. Grace and truth is our witness. And it's a witness of the church today in all its expressions of all its denominations of all of its individual people that make a difference in people's lives. Just truth by itself will not do it. We can't stand to hear the truth, just like the movie. You remember that movie? You can't stand the truth. Well, you know what? He's kind of right. He couldn't stand it, and we can't stand it all either, can we? The truth can be so much that we, we wither in front of it because it can seem harsh when it's just the truth. But when truth is intermingled, with love and compassion and grace and dispensed at the appropriate time in the appropriate ways, a young lady can have her life turned around. She could be completely turned around, but it took a lot of grace before she got the lot of truth, didn't it, Bob? It did. And that's what's going on in our world, and that's our calling, is to be people of grace who have the truth and know how to use each and Every one of the aspects of grace and truth. In order not to bowl someone over or to leave them hanging to something that just seems it requires nothing more. That's who I believe we are and that's who I believe we're becoming to be. Because that's the nature of the faith, right? We're faithful. But help us, God, be more faithful. We're graceful. But, Lord, help us be more graceful. Help us be more sensitive to the grace that is needed. Help us be more sensitive to the word of truth and how we convey it so that it can be heard. 
that's who the church is called to be in today's world. And that view of the church is wisdom. And I will not believe that the church will die as long as the church practices that. I will not believe that the church, any church cannot grow if they practice that combination of grace and truth. I've never seen it. I've never been a part of it where it failed. And I don't see it failing here now among us because I see people being attracted to that same combination. Father God, if there's someone here today who has never been loved like only you can love them, who's never been around somebody who loved them enough, let them feel that love and compassion even this day. If there's someone here, Lord, who is struggling with all the complexities of the truth, let them know and they feel the simple truth that God loves them and wants them to walk with Jesus. Let it be so, Lord, if there's anybody here who needs it today. Let them come forward and declare what their need is so we might take them in our arms with compassion and lead them along the way. If there's someone here, Lord, who loves you but does not have a church home, open their eyes wherever they're going, here or to somewhere else, so that they might be a part of that enduring community where faithful relationships are cultivated in the feeling midst of grace and truth combined together. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with me this closing song?